This podcast was created by the JCT English team for the Junior Cycle Talks podcast channel. Hello and welcome to episode two of Spinning Stories Out of Light, a series of podcasts exploring the study of film in the Junior Cycle English class. This episode is entitled The Lost Boy. My name is Mary Lowry and I'm joined by English teachers Connor Murphy and Lorraine Keenan. In our chat, we will look at how the use of shots and camera movement and positions in general are used to form film language and thus shape both the film and the experience of the viewer. We will make particular reference to two films from the prescribed list of texts for Junior Cycle English, Kez, directed by Ken Loach, and E.T., directed by Steven Spielberg. And hopefully we will gain some insights into the craft of these two very different directors. Over to Connor now to introduce our topic for today. This episode centres around shots, how directors and their cinematographers frame the images what they choose to show us and what they choose to hide, where they place the camera and why. Was it based on theme, character, or simply to move the camera along? Naming shots is useful when we initially talk about film or when the shot is easily named, but most of the time we must describe the shot, the movement, the image. Naming shots also has the disadvantage for students of being dogmatic. Students like the simplicity of definitions, as do some teachers, but the language isn't always that simple. Because of this definition approach, students often think that individual shots must have a specific meaning. A Dutch angle must mean the characters are batty. A close-up must mean the characters are upset. This is obviously not the case. Each shot must be taken in context. A close-up might create tension in an action movie, but in another film, denote an internal struggle. It is this context that we must look at first. How has the shot added to, or affected, our understanding of this film? We, re- we return to the question at the beginning of the introduction. Was it based on theme, character, or simply to move the story along? It might be instructive to have a look at the first few shots of each film and what they seem to be saying. Kez starts with what could be described as a mid-shot of a bed, the brother's shared bed. We are to discover. The frame is relatively tight. The bed fills nearly all of the picture. The camera is looking down at an angle at the bed as if we, the audience, We're leaning over slightly, trying to work out who is in there. The film is about Billy and his life, how Billy feels trapped and bullied by the world, even in his own home, even in his own bed, usually a place of refuge, of safety. As the shot develops, we realise that Billy's brother shares the bed, dominates the bed, they argue. The lights go on and we see finally just how small the bed is. It's a single bed. This shot is held for two minutes and four seconds. We, the audience, are in no doubt about the kind of film that we are watching. The main character's home life has been established, his combated nature, his entrapment. These themes are easily and quickly related through the simple mid-shot of a bed. Compare this to the opening of E.T. E.T. will deal with similar themes of growing up, of independence, of nature and nurture. But Spielberg has a different way of dealing with these themes. The first shot, after the credits, is of the stars can get much wider image than a shot of the stars. Stars conjure up thoughts of literal and metaphorical space of hope of possibility. The camera pans down from the stars and we discover that we were on land all this time, that we were looking up. The stars may be something to aspire to, 
The shot ends with a top half still full of stars, but at an angle from the right, treetops come into frame and cover the lower part of the frame. We see the top of the forest, a recurring location in the film, the sky and the earth, hope and reality, the future and the now. This shot lasts for only 28 seconds. Loach and Spielberg use similar techniques, but they will do so in starkly different ways, at different times, with different results. And that's what looking at shots, at how the director and the cinematographer framed the image, is all about context. We may use all the film language terms uh, we like, but if we don't understand the context, if we reduce the meaning down to dictionary understanding, then we are missing the creativity, the art of filmmaking. The first question is, how do the shots in E.T. and Kess shape the film? And what is the impact of these choices on the audience's experience in the films? So if you could just talk about a couple of shots that struck you as being important or that might shape the audience's impressions of what's going on. Mary, if you could speak first. Okay, so for me, with Kez, I suppose, in this film, the thing that strikes me the most is the close-up shots of the faces and the eyes and how they reveal character and I suppose particularly the character of of Billy and emotion and what they tell us about the interior life of different characters without saying anything. I think this is really, really powerful. Um, We see it when Billy's mom is in the social club and she's trying to get some kind of commitment from her boyfriend and she's kind of looking over at him, but he keeps his eyes downcast and doesn't uh, look to the camera and doesn't really look at her except when he tries to steal a kiss. And then I suppose for Billy, when we see... Billy standing at the blackboard telling the story of the first flight of Kez and it's a low angle shot and we see Billy standing up at the at the board in control kind of in charge of and holding the whole classroom enraptured by his story he's making direct eye contact he's confident and you can see it just in his eyes later on then we see Billy, um, when he speaks about school with the more sympathetic teacher, his eyes are down and we see the shot moves from Billy over to the teacher and back to Billy. And this time it's a more kind of it's it's a a little bit more like a high angle shot, not very high, but it's uh, up over Billy and he's afraid to make eye contact. And as the conversation goes on and he realises the teacher is more sympathetic, you can see more eye contact between the two of them. And I think those shots are really, really powerful. And again, then at the end when Kez is gone and when you see the pain in his face and in his eyes, they're a really wonderful way in which the story of Billy is told and the story of I suppose the pain and the joy in his life for me I I find that they're my kind of favourite ways in which the story is told through through the the shots and angles Um, Yeah it's interesting talking about the it's interesting that you're talking about the close-ups there in in the club Um, they're all if if you're looking at it they're all kind of from far away and they're all kind of zoomed they're zoomed in and it's all very natural. There's a natural conversation going on with them all the time. And I suppose that feeds into kind of cap- capturing people. Oh, I know they're actors, but you get the feeling that they're capturing them unawares. Okay. And these are little moments that, that, you didn't, that they didn't want to reveal, but we're seeing them. Okay. I think you've, you've, you've hit the nail on the head. That one. 
all of the time when I'm looking at these kinds of things in the classroom, I'm thinking about what it's like in, a, in storytelling. And I'm thinking about what's it like in writing? I would always point out to the students at these points, look at, you know, what's he doing? You know, his head is down. How would you describe that? You know, you could say his eyes are downcast or he's looking towards the floor, but you won't always use the verb to look. You'll use different verbs. And how would you how would you tell that story if you were telling it? And then also looking at it from the point of view of telling it as a digital story, the power of just capturing that look or that absence of the gaze into the camera is just so powerfully done. Thanks, Mary. We stick to Kez, um, Lorraine. What, what shots kind of stuck out for you? Yeah, well, just listening to you there, Mary, that's where I've gone to as well. Well, I've gone to, to a few places, but the classroom ones just really struck me about how they told the story or controlled the story or the environment that the really early scenes like 11 minutes into the film um, in the classroom and the cameras placed down among the students and we're looking at the teacher who's in the center of everything you know calling the the register and then it actually contrasts it moves to the the next scene where billy's out in the forest do you remember that through the forest for the first time so you go from this really tightly controlled shot where the teacher is in charge of everything in the classroom and then we move to just this the canopy of the forest the dappled light him being curious and we watch them like there's there's all these kind of obscure shots we're almost peeping at him if that makes sense behind um, the foliage until it then it opens out into a shot of the field with the ruins and we see the the kestrel soaring high and the the nest and the freedom in contrast to what we had just two minutes beforehand three minutes beforehand with the classroom I think that really struck me you know early on in the film mm-hmm. and then that was uh, actually one of the ones I was going to talk about Lorraine so thanks for ah. that I was going to speak with the classroom as well because you're right it's I I, I watched it and as I paused it said it's wide made close it follows those kind of real kind of structured approach to telling a story visually you know you catch your wide so you can see what everything's going on then it moves in mid and then it's a close-up um, and it only ever moves in that first scene uh, it, there's a kind of a tilt up i think when billy stands up and he's in trouble yeah. but he's not really he doesn't realize he's in trouble he was, he was just reciting something or it's kind of a um uh, a stream of consciousness in his head mary you came around to the and actually connor you, you mentioned it as well where you spoke about how when we return to the classroom and he has that positive moment with the teacher where he just, you know, he lights up as he speaks about the the castrel and, and what he's done with the castrel. And, you know, initially I'm like, oh, gosh, uh, in my mind, I was like, God, this is the A1 ever. <laughs> like this is kind of the, the intro to it. And then as he becomes more confident and the students encourage him and then the, the shot kind of pulls right back. So that we're at the back of the classroom and then Billy's up at the board and he is teaching everybody language. He's modeling things. And like you said, he's, you know, he's acting out the whole scene with the castrel. I just loved the, the kind of, at that point, life came back into the classroom or something. Oh, lads, I find it just so difficult to watch even that episode at in that section in the uh, out on the pitch and everything I'm just I'm such a softie I think you know watching Billy 
doing his gymnastics yeah. on the on the goalpost and stuff. And all I'm thinking is like he's so talented in other ways. Like he's so agile. Never mind with the Kestrel. He has these other talents as well. And it's just all it's just so brutal. And that contrast between the comedic element of the coach and his brutality is it's so starkly played and I suppose the contrast of that maybe is what makes it so emotional as well yeah um, he's a brute you seem like he's an absolute yeah. brute with them yeah. and you know Billy's so small everything about him is small yeah. all the shots he's so small like the ridiculous shorts up over his shoulders and you know he's like a little bird isn't he he's like a little bird yeah. you know just swinging away and I loved the the part where, as well, it was just the shot of him and the other kind of, well, outsider or the, the kid that's picked glass. You know, there was a boy with the glasses and they're, you know, kind of limbering up and stretching and talking about, you know, how uh, their muscles are aching, etc. You know, they're just desperately trying to connect because, yeah. because they're so removed from the rest of the game and the shot is removed from them as well. I loved that. Kess is all shot from far away. Okay. It's all, it's all it's as if the observer, the cinematographer, he came back from working with a Czech cinematographer and he came back to Ken Loach with this idea of how to do it, you know, mm, um, yeah. to make it look a documentary feel as for one, but also to let the actors act in a much more natural fashion. So the cameras are way back. It's lit in a much more natural way, but it is very carefully lit, but it is, makes it much look more natural than it, you know. And, and the idea then is just let the actors act away and you catch them when they can. And it's kind of amateur acting as well, so that let them develop and, and become the characters. So okay. the, the, the characters in the thing be very close to the characters, apart from the professional actors, like the kids, be very close to their actual characteristics anyway. Okay. Which not, they do with kids actor anyway, that's what, that's what they, they play off from them. And when he goes to the foliage, um, it's once again a character trying to escape. And we see all the characters in Kez in various ways trying to escape. Even the PE teacher, God love him, he's enacting this kind of, he's trying to escape with his own little world, thinking he's an FA Cup player. And later on, we see Judd as well um, going to work. And at first, we don't know it's him. It's a wide shot, and he's walking down through the fields just like Billy does, except that by the end of that, those, those sequences, which I won't get into now, it's all dark, and it's dust, and it's dirt. And we just see the pockets of light. And there's a little very, I don't know how to express it, hurtful, I think, to him, but and hurtful to us as we listen to the sound of little children singing. And then we get back to the close-ups again that Mary was talking about, except this time it's children and they're full of hope, except we've just seen what their future is going to be. So it's a film full of being trapped within frames and within the whole existence in, up, up in the pits in Barnsley. So if we move on to E.T., and I'll repeat the question to keep the focus. Uh, how do the shots in E.T. shape the film and what is the impact these choices have on the audience experience of the film? For me, the way the opening of the film is shot so beautifully is something that I go back to every time. Uh, we have those panning shots across the forest, the focus on the details, you know, the close-up shots of E.T.'s hand, the tree, the rabbit, the mothership, and the emphasis on curiosity and nature. And the low angle shots there that humanity is the threat to the alien, the spotlights and the silhouettes through that. And it, just the shaping of that, the way the beauty of the storytelling here is just phenomenal. And, and, and again, I will always when I'm, I'm 
you know, focusing on something like that with the students. I'll always talk to them about, you know, look at the way the set is established here, the way our interest is aroused, the way we have this interesting character that's only revealed to us in in little small ways in the initial steps and how that hooks our attention and how it also manipulates our view. And that's something I kind of will also look at a good bit and how it works so beautifully with the score and the soundtrack. Um, I think there are opportunities here for such a rich discussion with students on perception and how the camera directs the gaze. And at that point, I'll very often say to students, imagine, you know, if the story was told from the point of view of the guy with the keys because we only see the keys and we only hear this sound imagine we were hearing the story or being you know the camera was being it was the gaze of the camera was coming from the the adult perspective rather than from the alien perspective and it's just there's such richness there in terms of the beauty of the way it's shot but also in the conversation that you can have with students on how the camera directs our gaze Spiel, that's what Spielberg is all about. Where that's it's a, such a great contrast to Kez, whereas Kez yeah. is kind of catching things. Whereas Spielberg is, it's all very, it's very, it feels very natural, but it feels very natural for a particular reason. It flows along because it's all so very calculated on on his part, which and it works works beautifully. I loved how there is that echo between the opening scene and the closing scene. So where we in the closing scene we go back to the forest, back to the darkness. But there's this closeness now between Elliot and, and E.T. You know, it isn't as foreboding or, you know, there isn't as much of that sense of fear that's there maybe in the opening. And I love the shots between Elliot and E.T. where we're level with the two of them. And then we have that moment where we link back to the ouch scene, you know, and we have the over the shoulder kind of shot of E.T.'s face and... I love how in the background you can see over E.T.'s shoulders, his mother. And then when we look at it from the other side, we see over Elliot's shoulders, his mother. Mm-hmm. And I think there's just something really beautiful there about how it tells the story of, of two children and two mothers. And that, that links to me actually with, with another sequence or moment, if you like, much earlier on in the film where they are inside the wardrobe and E.T. is looking out into the bedroom and he's peeping again there at the mother and Gertie as she reads Gertie a story. It's just before that first ouch moment where, you know, he heals Elliot's finger when he's cut it. I just love that shot where we are inside the wardrobe with E.T., and we can just see one panel, just one panel is is opened, you know, like a little set of blinds in the wardrobe. And, and we watch the yearning of E.T. and just that connection. You know, there's something really beautiful then when Elliot sits beside him, puts his arm around him and the camera pulls back again. And there's these layers of viewers, if you like, where we are watching E.T. and Elliot who are watching Gertie and the mother who are completely invested in Peter Pan, um, a chapter from Peter Pan, chapter 13, the Believe in Fairies, you know, and it's I just love the layers that are there in in how it's shot. I love the story within the story. I just I just there's something about it that really intrigues me. And even Peter Pan, then the lost, you know, a lost boy. That's one of uh, Spielberg's favorite stories, Peter Pan. 
He's always looking to try and retell that story as often as he possibly could. And if you look at E.T., it's kind of a, there's elements of Peter Pan, obviously, with the flying and the believing in, in uh, magic and all that kind of stuff. So And the lost you know, boy that yeah. E.T. is. Yeah. I'm telling you, that's his mom and dad that's coming back. For yeah. And Elliot as the lost boy, very yeah. much the lost boy. boy is, yeah. They, but that's what the whole thing for me anyway is, is that there are these mm. kindred spirits, like, the, you know, irrespective of you know that they're these two creatures and you know that there's connections to be made when you seek each other out in compassion how would you use shots to connect with other elements in this specification for us if we're thinking of the english spec you know we're thinking about learning outcomes you know we're talking about character there reading six really is what was coming out and what you were saying along with reading nine and then when you speak about the writing I could hear writing for being able to write in a range of text forms for different audiences, different purposes. And then also writing seven, responding imaginatively to, to different texts. So for me, I if I go with Kez or E.T. first, I'll go with E.T. first. I would definitely link to, to Peter Pan. Like I would love to take that moment with the students of what's the connection and take that chapter and to have a look at that chapter about you know the the fairies and tink and clapping to bring the fairies back to life and all that i love i loved the idea of text within texts so i would definitely bounce there if you like if for et and look at um some of the language i think about reading for and some of the critical language critical vocabulary that we would use when we're teaching film, but also then how you can, you know, make that segue across to a text like Peter Pan and the connections between film and a written text like Peter Pan, for example. For Kez, I would see strong links here to David Allman's The Savage, which is on our prescribed text list. And I would love to make those links again in that reading six space about understanding character and how they're developed and then in the writing space as well I'd love to use the savage alongside Kez and another short story comes to mind as well you know the classic one O'Flaherty's his first flight or the poem wilderness by Carl Sandburg and back in the playground blues so I think there's loads of poems is probably a place I go to but I also see connections then mm. to other other texts again depending on what I want the students to learn like if I'm in an English classroom using these texts. I'm thinking about reading six and understanding character, development, setting, all that type of thing, as well as writing and responding in a creative way, which would be like writing four, writing seven. So they would be the things that jump out, I suppose, to me when I think of these two. Another tactic I've done is, is bring in a few poems to them. I hand them out, they go into groups and they all have, say, five poems each, or say, four, four poems, four people in a group, four poems. They discuss, they re- each read the poem, explain the poem to everybody else in the group, and they all pick the poem that best reflects the particular theme that we've been discussing with the, with the film. And then they pick those poems and then they, they have to, each group has to argue why their poem is, is perfectly and why we should study it. And then we have a little vote and then they, we, we study whatever poem the, the class has picked. I suppose we start with Kez, the links I would make with other texts, I suppose, and other elements of the specification. With Kez, I would definitely use Timothy Winters, Charles Cosley's Timothy Winters, that beautiful poem about the neglected boy 
written by Cosley at the end of the Second World War. So it kind of links in with this idea of the poverty there um, that we see so clearly in Kez. Uh, I'd also look at the lesson by Roger McGough where you have this, um, the teacher and the abuse of the students. You know, he garroted a, a student and um, throws the grenade, the the head teacher throws the grenade into the classroom. So it's quite a humorous and shocking look at a lesson and the violence of lesson. And again, I, now as, as I'm thinking about it, I'm thinking back to the way you talked about the humour mm. and the brutality of um, the sequence with the coach. And I'm thinking that that works now actually really, really well with the lesson because that's the, the contrast that McGough is looking at as well in the lesson. Another thing, um, Billy at 30, around 33 minutes in the film, after Judd comes back from the pub and he wakes him up and he has to take off his shoes, Billy runs out of the house and uh, runs through the forest at that point. And it's just beautiful. It's nighttime coming into morning and he is running from... I suppose the desperate situation in which he lives to the freedom of the the countryside and the kestrel and where he he gets the kestrel. I would look at that sound on and sound off and I would ask the students to write out the emotion. Uh, Write it as a little story, you know, write it as a diary entry. Just write it um, in a free writing moment. I, I would ask them to do that. Um, also think about using the senses, uh, pick a moment of tension in any Roald Dahl. I think Roald Dahl's always great for this. Uh, any Roald Dahl short story, get them to focus on on the details that Roald Dahl, because he, he focuses so much on the details of what they're wearing and how they're behaving and how something that they're holding or um, a particular characteristic tells us so much about the character. And I would, you know, read that and look at how the use of short and long sentences in a piece of written text can be mirrored in in a piece of, of the film. And I think, again, of Billy in the classroom telling his story and the fluidity and the beauty and the way that, you know, it mirrors long sentences in a story in contrast with when Billy is standing with the teacher and the teacher is asking him questions about being bullied or when the teacher is speaking to the guy who has bullied um Billy and look at those short sharp exchanges and how those short sharp exchanges can be linked in with you know this idea of using short sentences for creating tension and so on and I think also of Private Peaceful and Mr Munnings I think of Stone Cold and that quote uh, from Link the worst thing was nobody stuck up for me it just really resonates with me when I watch Kez linking with well-being relationships, respect, teacher-student respect. I thought it might be a lovely activity to get the students to do an infographic of what a relationship should be like between teach. you know, do this, don't do that, you know, do it as an infographic. When I was thinking about Kez as well, I was always so thinking about Doc on One, Don't Go Far. And I always talk, when I do that Doc on One with the students, I always talk about the lost potential in that text. And um, those two boys and the... American police officer references it. He says, you know, he could be a CEO of a company one day. And that always makes me sad at the end of that text. And sometimes the students pick up on that themselves. So get them thinking about uh, Billy's talents and get them thinking about, you know, Billy's lost potential as well there, I suppose. When you think about that scene where he's with the employment guy uh, looking at, well, what could you do? What talents do you have? And that he doesn't recognise it. 
that was that's just absolutely fantastic there's so much in that and what you've said in so many different directions that we can take looking at films in, in the classroom and how do you tie it in with the various aspects of English and, and indeed well-being. And it's great listening to yourself and Lorraine come up with such wonderful and innovative ideas that uh, we can all take back to the classroom. And indeed, it was great listening to both of you talk about the shots in Kez and E.T. There's so much there today that I think that a lot of teachers will be able to use in their own classroom and take back with them when they watch movies themselves. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed our chat as much as we did today. Thanks for listening. I'd like to thank my colleagues, Mary Lowry and Lorraine Keenan for sharing their experience of teaching film in the Junior Cycle English. And thank you for listening to Spinning Stories Out of Light. This podcast and others in the series can be accessed on JCT Talks or on any podcast app. To find out more about our podcasts and other resources or to get in contact with the JCT English team, please go to www.jct.ie slash English or follow us on Twitter at JCT English. To hear more from Junior Cycle Talks, search for us on SoundCloud or anywhere that you listen to your podcasts.